You know what would have been good? What would have been good? If I'd have thought of literally anything Christmassy to start today's Christmas special. It's the Christmas special, everyone! Well, I mean, see, I, I was really hoping for the Christmas special you'd have left the uh, the collar with the bell on, because then that's like Jingle Bells, that's oh, a Christmas! Thank you for reminding me to take the collar with the bell off. <laughs> Aha! But that's good, because I remembered it's there, Jingle Bells on a collar. There you go! Steph... You have fired the first <laughs> shot in the war on Christmas by not thinking about Christmas. <gasps> oh, shit. Okay, all right. It's not the Christmas special. Are you removing the jingle bells? Oh, no. You must hate Christmas. It's not the Christmas special anymore. No? It's the war on Christmas special. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm gonna commit to this being the war on Christmas special by being a bit guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh no! I'm gonna commit to it by being very gay, right? <gasps> you know, you know, gay stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Tits, yeah, they're pretty good. Into that, <laughs> big fan. Yeah, I like tits. <laughs> I like, I like, it. I like everything really. Yeah, yeah, but particularly the gay stuff because war on Christmas. If it's gay, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Comrade, how are you helping us in the fight against Christmas? I am appreciatively observing all of the gay and mm, supporting yeah. it. Yes. I I'd, I'd like that. I if if every time I was gay, Conrad was just stood there with his hands <laughs> on his hips, just nodding. Yep. With this mm, look on his mm, face that's mm. like, they're gonna be all right. Like I just I <sighs> feel so much cozier in my gayness. That's what I'm missing. I'm missing cozy gayness. I've had mm. enough of going hard gay. I want cozy gay, and I need a festive little hat, mug mm. of cocoa, <laughs> sweater on, just a really just comfortable Conrad, just nodding approvingly. See, you get Talking all these terms like cozy, it almost sounds like you're coming back round to Christmas again, and this is the war on Christmas. Right, but that's what makes it so good, right? Because we're we are subverting all of the Christmas stuff, you know, that coziness. We're taking it over. Yeah. Right, you know, like like roasting chestnuts by an open fire, right? Yeah. I'll do that, right? But also uh, c- come. Ooh, ooh, I've got one. Yeah. Ooh. You know how the war on Christmas, they, they hate when you say happy holidays. Yep. Well, gay, old synonym for happy, gay holidays. Oh. Oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My anpanic broke. If you ask me, Christmas is a red and green menace. And I think that we need to hold some hearings and root out these people who support it and put them up <laughs> against the wall. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh no. Your amber dick broke. My amber dick broke. I'm not in a Christmassy <laughs> mood. I was going to come on today and be like, oh, maybe I'll pretend to be Santa for a bit and just eventually talk about cum because that's pretty much the only place my mind can go these days. Um, I'm pretty sure Dino Crisis did it. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's going on my worst games of the year list. <laughs> 2021, worst games of the year. Capcom's Dino Crisis. You blew it, Capcom. Yeah, it definitely it definitely broke your ambernick, and it's the game's fault. Well, I was playing on my ambernick. That's yeah. my little, for those who don't know, my little handheld system that has, like, all the old games on it, right? I was playing Dino Crisis, the PlayStation 1 classic, and it crashed. And then I played it a couple more times. It kept crashing. Then I thought, fuck it, I'll put something else on. And then that started crashing. And then King's Field crashes. And then now it just won't load up at all. 
See, don't tell the video game publishers and developers that that uh, a ROM that you place onto a third-party device broke your third-party device. You're making the piracy will break all of your computers argument from the 90s. But King's Field's pretty good. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. it's time. Yeah. Didn't look it. Steph wouldn't, you know, know, because the Abonix broken, but... Right, right. I kept yeah. hitting a squid, Conrad, in the King's Field. I kept hitting a squid with my little sword, and it didn't die. Now, that does sound like the experience of playing King's Field. I was pretty good then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to Podquisition, everyone. Yeah, I'm not in the mood. No? I'm not in the mood. Not in the mood? I was dizzy all day yesterday. Yeah. Because I'm thinking the booster shot, right? Right. Dizzy all day yesterday. Yeah. And then I had to wake up today and, God, right? You'll never guess what happened in the morning. Your amber dick broke? Right. Not just that, right? Even Before that, mm-hmm. that, that was the salt in the wound. Do you know what the wound was? What's the wound? My fucking day started. Oh. <sighs> Why does this keep happening? Right? Every day. <sighs> Every night I go to bed and I'm like, right, I just had to sit through a fucking day. Can I have a break, please? I wake up, there's only another one. Just another whole, not just a bit of a day, right? I can't emphasize this enough, Laura and Conrad, right? Yeah. I can't emphasize this enough. When I go to sleep at night, right? Yeah. I don't just get a bit of a day to deal with the next day. The next day is a whole next day. I, I, I mean, I don't know what we've been doing wrong, but I've been on the same... I've been on that same... I've, I've, I've been getting dealt that really bad hand. Oh, fuck, it's going around. Yeah. Yeah, it's catching. Jesus Christ. I'm not in the mood. Well, you know what we... Okay, whether we're in the mood for it or not is irrelevant. It's Podquisition. We're here. It's, it's the Not Christmas special. We're going to talk about video games. Oh. Not ones on the Ambernick this week, apparently. No, but no. we're going to talk about video games. I've played some video games. Shall I, shall I start talking about them so that, you know, hopefully the ball rolls and we'll see what happens? Sure. Talk about some video games. You might as well. For, for Christmas. For a Christmas treat, we might as well talk about video games. Merry Christmas, everyone. Okay. Uh, I found five bucks. Hey, that's a win. That was a yeah. good thing. That was a win yeah. today. There was five dollars on the floor. I bet it's covered in Omicron and I'm going to die now. But until then, <laughs> I got a free five. That's just floor money for me. That's just floor bucks. So I started playing a game called The Artful Escape. All right. Which is it's a game. It's on Game Pass at the moment. I've played this at a couple of um like you know video game conventions. I've played demos for it in the part and. My my opinion of it has always been like, it's not clicking for me, but it seems interesting, and maybe this is just the wrong setting to try and get into it. And I finally sat down and played it properly. So it is a game about a musician who is... I'm, I'm going to use real-world musicians to give you the tone of all of this, because it's the easiest way to describe it. Picture a story about Bob Dylan's nephew Mm. and bob dylan has passed away and everyone in the little town that bob dylan you know came from that you know was coasting off of his fame to get a little bit of tourism is like oh fuck how are we gonna keep the town alive aha musically talented nephew play more songs like like what your uncle did he doesn't want to do that this little lad who's the main character he would rather play psychedelic rock operas about space checks out 
He's very talented at them, but, you know, oh, everyone wants him to sing mournful folk punk. Oh, how's it gonna... He's got to do his droney voice, he don't want to do that. And then... I'm assuming that this isn't happening in reality. It sure seems like maybe because he likes psychedelic rock, he maybe goes home and does a bunch of mushrooms. It's not shown on stream, but that's that's my current guess. He puts on some psychedelic rock, lies down, and then gets abducted by aliens and goes on a psychedelic rock journey to step out of his uncle's shadow and create whatever his stage persona's gonna be. I like the concept. The problem I have is that this is a game about being a musician that's simultaneously too much and not enough about music. It fits in a weird position where I don't think this game knows what it wants to be. And that draws some narrative parallels to this singer not knowing what he wants to be, but it doesn't make for a good game. So, like, mechanically, there's a few different things going on in the game. Sometimes you're just walking around having conversations, you doing little narrative bits that are nothing to do with music having the story happen at you. Uh, those can be quite lengthy at times. They're well acted, they're well performed, they're just big gaps from the music stuff. You've got sections where you are doing platforming, and you sh you can hold down the X button the entire time to do sweet psychedelic guitar riffs that are not really in any way gameplay relevant, and th the game sounds better with them on, so those sections I just hold X the entire time I'm doing a very basic platformer, and it looks very pretty. The audio-visual stuff is gorgeous, but, like, it's not interesting mechanically. Occasionally it's a... Very light music rhythm game, but very, not even ri music rhythm. You've got the face buttons on your controller and aliens will have eyes that are positioned where the face buttons are and they'll go in an order and like, what's the game called? Simon? Where you have to follow the flashing lights in order? Mm -hmm. You do that, but music happens. And it doesn't matter your timing, it's not like a rhythm thing. The whole time I was playing it, I kept comparing it to two very different music-based games that I enjoy a lot in trying to work out why I don't like this. On the one hand, I was comparing it a bit to Wondersong, which is a really nice little adventure game about being a little bard. That game, I think, did a lot more mechanically interesting with you playing as someone who wanted to play music. The controls for making music were consistent with gameplay and puzzle-solving mechanics. It had a much more interesting story told at a better pace. Like, it, it it committed to being a little adventure game. Wondersong's very cute. Yeah, yeah. Wondersong is a cute little game where you use music both for narrative and for gameplay. Like, the, the Artful Escape doesn't do anywhere near that well on that front. And the other thing I kept comparing it to was Sayonara Wild Hearts, which I've talked about before. It's like an hour and a half long, it basically plays like an interactive music video, um, or like a, a, an interactive album with gameplay and visual elements. I feel like this could have worked as that. Like, I feel if, like if this had had more mechanically to do, and had condensed its runtime down considerably, like, this could have been really neat, because it's visually, it's audibly, like, there's some really neat stuff in it, it's just... If I'm having fun running through a beautiful environment playing a guitar, I don't then want to have to stop and have 20 minutes of walking around side-scrolling conversations. If I'm enjoying the conversations, I don't want to go back to... Whatever I'm doing with it, I don't... It seems really efficient at 
as soon as I feel like I'm enjoying part of it, it's like, oh no, we're, we're going over to that again now. I want to like this game more than I do. It's got a lot of heart. I like the personification of the main character and the way it does its little journey of introspection. I just don't enjoy playing it. I'd had my eye on it for a while because it's been on Game Pass for a few months now. Yeah. And every time I looked at it, I watched the trailer and I'm like, what is this? Yeah. And it's not in a way that makes me curious. Just like, I don't see anything here. And that, so, yeah. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. The game has an identity crisis. If you've seen any of the sections in those trailers where he's just running along with his guitar going and, like, basic jumping, yeah, those sections can last, like, 25 minutes. Jesus. It's, it's very visually pretty, but it is, like, basically 25, like, 20, 25 minutes of... With minimal stopping occasionally to get a tiny bit of plot, and then you continue running along strumming your guitar. And it's like, you you could have made a fantastic couple of hours game out of this. It feels bloated and confused about what it mechanically wants to be. Mm. Which is a shame, because I want to know more, and it's beautiful, and it's... it's... And if it were a drilled-down focused two hours, you wouldn't mind. Yeah, as someone that loved Sayonara Wild Hearts, I will more than happily take a drilled down two hours that is very focused and doesn't feel like it has a bunch of fluff in it. Yeah. And like that's kind of what I... I want like a director's cut of this that is much more to the point than it is. Ah, <sighs> yeah. What about you both? What you what you been playing? I played Serious Sam 4. I didn't know there was a fourth one. Well, yeah, it just released. Yeah. Pretty recently. Yeah. And and it, like, it's, gr visually the monster designs are real cool, mm -hmm. but that's about the only takeaway I have from it. I won't play another Serious Sam because I just don't get on with them. It's, it's yeah. not for me. See, I like Serious Sam. Yeah, I, I expected that you might. Yeah. You know, it's simple and brainless. It's big open spaces and then lots of silly monsters and then you shoot them all. And this is fundamentally that. Like, they, they're always fundamentally that. But I don't like it. Mm. Honestly, not fond of it this time around. They tried, and that's a problem. They thought this time around they'd try and be a bit more than that. Oh. Yeah. And so they reached beyond their grasp. Well, reach is a bit of a reach. Mm. They lifted a finger in the general direction beyond their grasp. <laughs> they added some cutscenes. So they've tried to do some story this time around. And they're just the cutscenes are just people talking. Like there are supporting characters. None of them stand out. None of them have anything funny or interesting to say. So like my brain just switches off and it just pads out more time between, you know, me shooting things and me not shooting things. They added a little skill tree, bless them. You can unlock little things, like, oh, sometimes enemies will drop items, or you can hold two guns. It was a nice, you know, they tried that. But the level design is where it really hits up a snack. Like, it's just not good. The, the spaces that you fight in seem at once too large and too constrained. There's just, like, sh crap everywhere. Like, um little corridors and environmental details that just get in the way, like just walls that wall off nothing. 
Uh, it doesn't seem like any thought went into how to lay out a map. It's like they they made some large areas to shoot stuff in and then just randomly threw terrain in and in a way where it just feels like it, it gets in your way when you're trying to run around and shoot stuff. Also, they're, they're, something about the way the enemies approach you this time feels off. Uh, normally, like running and gunning is really straightforward and simple, but this time the enemy makeup is such that it seems really hard to avoid getting hit by stuff more than usual. Like, things just come at you from all directions, which sounds like a serious Sam game, but in practice, things come at you from all directions to the point where you really can't tell where you're going to get hit from. Um, some of the new enemies are really annoying, like the the ones that have like are fully shielded up front and have big hammers and smash them down and manage to deal damage to you if they're too near at all. And yeah, I, I'm just not getting on with that. The other serious Sam games, it's really straightforward. Here is a big fucking room. Here is wave after wave of monster running at you. Shoot them all, please. Whereas here, it's just like, oh, they're everywhere. And it feels, it doesn't feel balanced. It, it feels just like a random assortment of enemies like they just went fuck it hmm. and then in between that it's just a bit boring and there are large periods in this game where you are just wandering around doing nothing yeah. i say large large for a serious sam game as in there are some moments where you're not doing anything it's one of those things where it's if I describe it out loud, it sounds like I'm describing any serious Sam game. Because it's got all of those elements. They're, it's just off. And I'm playing it on the PS5 and it runs like shit as well. It's just stuttery and, and awful. That's about all I've got to say about it. I'm not in the mood. That's a, that is a shame. Uh, what? about you, Conrad? What you been playing? I mean, the only thing I've been playing is more of that uh, Fire Girl Hack and Splash Rescue. Yeah. Which, um, you know, it, I talked about it last week and, you know, I had a lot of reservations in terms of being able to recommend it, but it had problems. The difficulty curve was too great. It, it Over the course of the last week, the developers patched it three times. Oh, wow. Yeah, and really, like, they got the a lot of the audience was was feeling the same way uh it seemed and uh they pretty dramatically addressed a lot of the issues so you know the problem with uh having to take time to kill enemies only ever worked against you from you know the the time limit perspective um got pretty seriously addressed now enemies give more time back they die a little bit faster um, they nerfed a lot of the things that made that initial difficulty curve so challenging. Uh, now they happened to do it right after I'd crested that difficulty curve and was doing just fine. So then I had to have the experience of like it getting real easy for a bit. Uh, and I'm looking forward to actually just starting a fresh game without any of the upgrades and, uh, and trying out what the experience is like for a new player now. Uh, just to try and sort of get a comparison sense, but it's pretty good uh, on the whole. I did. I have finished it now. They fixed a lot of things that really needed fixing. One of the elements of the game is that there's a collectible item hidden in some missions that you have to find twelve of in order to complete the game, and 
they were spawning pretty late in runs on missions, apparently. And they weren't spawning frequently enough, and there was a long time between finding them. That was making me question how long this was going to take. And then the most recent patch, I think it was, uh, addressed that, and I'll, and, I, and I beat it in a couple more hours. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's much more balanced. The progression makes uh, more gradual sense in terms of difficulty and scaling. Uh, I, I can actually recommend it now. I've, I've had a lot of fun playing it. Yay. I do think it's pretty smart what they've done with trying to create a balance between dealing with enemies, searching for uh, characters, and having that time limit. I just also think that the balance wasn't quite where it needed to be at the outset, and it does seem a lot better now. You can kind of endless mode two of the, the four stage types in the game and actually one of them you used to be able to and post some patching i don't think you can uh the woods and that one was the really fun one to do loops on but uh i would like just an endless mode for this uh with you know some kind of scoring system i think that would be a really fun addition something to consider once they get all of the other things ironed out oh and this is like just maybe a, a minor, minor thing. It's a personal pet peeve. Your default option on loading the game should be continue game, not new game. Just a thought. Also, uh, in the new game, when you select a new game and you select a save slot that has a game save in it, that shouldn't be how you delete a game save. Now, it does prompt oh. you. It does prompt you. I'm glad it does, but yeah, that's not how you overwrite a save. That's not mm. that's not good. So yeah, th but those those two sort of UI things that stand out to me as being things like, hey, you know, these these should probably be fixed and and wouldn't be super difficult to do. But on the whole, I'm I'm really impressed with how they have been working to improve the game, and uh, and I like it. It's fun. Wow. I am really glad to hear that game that you had some problems with seems to be addressing them. That's always a really yeah. nice thing to hear, and I'm glad it happened so soon while you still care about the game. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, what about you, Steph? You played anything else? Right. Well, before um, third-party software broke my third-party hardware, Yeah. I played Nightmare Creatures. Oh, you play that often. No. No, because we've time. talked about... No, we have to have talked about you playing Nightmare Creatures before. This has mm -hmm. come up in conversation. Nah. I'm certain I've never played it before. Well, I'm looking at pictures of it now. It sure sure is a thing. Yeah. This can't be... I've, I've, I, I, I may have talked about it before because I've always been interested in it, but I've never played it. Okay. I played it this week. It's pretty rough. Got to the first boss. Uh, started again with the cheat codes on, because fuck that. Yeah, so this is an old uh, PS, PS1 game? Yeah, it's a PS1 game. Came out sort of around about the time of survival horror, but it's more of an action thing. Yeah. You play one or two characters, these monsters, really kind of cool monster designs. They got kind of long arm, sharp talony things, right? Lots of long arms and spikes, and yeah, yeah kind of bordering on Eldritch. Um, 
with some zombies as well. Um, most of the time, you just sort of... It, it's about who hits who first. Yeah. If you hit the monster first, then there's a good chance you can just keep spamming the attack button and back, back them up into a wall, and then eventually they'll fall over. But for its time, it was it was trying. Like, yeah. there's, like, yeah. very rudimentary, like dodging and stuff if you use the shoulder buttons you can dodge left and right and so there's it feels almost more modern than it is because so many games are about you know baiting an enemy to attack and dodging around and attacking them from behind and you can sort of do that with this um so yeah it's kind of fun and cool um i got to the the level after the first boss and then just saw nothing but dead ends and gave up but i'm glad i finally tried it yeah, it looks intriguing. Yeah, it's... I, it, I've never come across it before. This is the first I've heard of it, and it looks it looks kind of neat. As, when I was a kid, I saw it like it was pl- being played on a, a sh- like a store demo unit. Like it was just sort of yeah. auto-playing, and I was like, that looks fun. That looks interesting. Um, it's the kind of game I'd be interested in seeing like a remake done of, because, the, the you know, it's a third-person action game on, on the PlayStation 1, it's rough. It's messy. Yeah. But it's it's got a nice visual style and the music's pretty cool. It's got this sort of real real fun gothic vibe to it. But it is one of those games where if you don't put the cheats on, you're just going to have a really shit time. <laughs> and yeah, then I, I got to a bit where it was just nothing but dead ends and then I gave up and that was that. And that's all I played this week apart from the more Binding of Isaac. But I've got nothing else to say about the Binding of Isaac. It's the Binding of Isaac. Played a little bit of a couple of other things. I'm gonna I'm gonna crack through some things because I've had a week of like trying to wedge in little bits of things in amongst a bunch of other work. I played some of A Year of Spring, which is uh, a collection of three pretty short uh, visual novels. Um, I played them on Xbox. I'll get out of the way. I, 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 it does a thing that always annoys me with visual novels, where it's way too easy to accidentally press A as if you're trying to get to the next box of text. And skip the text, yeah. And accidentally skip the the, the text or skip the choice. Mm. And thankfully you can left bumper to go back a step to a choice you've missed. But it's like, there, there's something about the, like, the rate at which it accepts inputs and progresses that led to me more than once accidentally selecting inputs I didn't mean to. You know, that seems like such a I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but you, you have a controller. How many buttons do you fucking need to deploy in the, game, in the playing of a visual novel? Like, two? The solution that most do is that mashing A won't make a choice for you by itself, is that when choices come up, you have to use the analog stick or the D-pad to move up or down. Right. And that, that brings your cursor being on one of the choices becomes active, stops you accidentally mashing through it. This does not do that. But that aside... I really like this. It's it's only a couple of couple of bucks. It is three short little interactive stories, uh, very cute art style, nice uh, writing, nice music, all about queer female romance, and specifically, they're all different takes on stories of trans women in Japan being present in gendered spaces. It's a really interesting little collection of stories, and they're all very surface level. They're, they they can all have they can all have good, nice little happy endings. They're all very positive and supportive, but you know, 
it'll be like, hey, have some cute little, like, young young adult women falling in love with each other, having a nice time narrative. But also, learn a little bit about some of the, some of the shittiness that's specific to Japan about trans people and how trans people in Japan are trying to make things better. But also, cute little gay romance. I didn't know what it was when I picked it up and I was really pleasantly surprised by it. When I say that these stories are short, like I played through one, I think in about 20, 25 minutes total, I played through the first of the three stories. Like, they're like episode of TV length little mini stories. The first one is trans gal is nervous to go use the shared gendered baths in a in a spa. And like, is it tell a little sweet story that also is trans and stuff? I, I was kind of, I didn't know what to expect. I was pleasantly surprised by it. I also played some Hot Wheels Unleashed, which is a game that's set better than it has any right to be. Hmm. It is a legitimately pretty fun arcade racing game in which all of the carts are nonsense Hot Wheels tracks, but big and wide so that you can sort of pass in front of other cars, which is mainly done so that they can have ridiculous, it doesn't make sense in reality, don't worry about it too much track design. It plays really nicely. The main mechanics are by doing drifting round tight corners, which are always pretty well telegraphed, you charge up a boost meter, your boost meter you can obviously use as you like. There are loops in some of the tracks, and you will need to have some boost available for those in order to get enough speed to do the loop, uh, which works quite nicely. You can sort of... The way that your drift works is that you are... It very much does kill your momentum. It, it is putting the brakes on, but because you're generating boost, you do your big drift, and then you sort of boost out of the drift to, to get that speed back up. Which is like, it, it plays really nicely. Couple, a couple of little gripes. Playing through the little narrative on it, it, it starts way too easy. I wish I could knock the difficulty up a little bit at the start. Because, like, right from the start, I was winning every single race without it being a challenge, and I don't think that's because I'm amazing at this game. I think it's because, like, it's it's like playing Mario Kart on 50cc and going, yeah, I can reliably win all these races, but I kind of wish we could not kick this up a notch. Well, I, I mean, what's the target demo for this, though? Like, well, exactly, you know. I, exactly, and I, I look, I get that, and even though, even though I am like, you know, it, it was taking a while for it to pick up enough speed for it to be like a challenge i was still having fun even just like driving around the tracks that being said i i picked this up and i momentarily thought i'd made a terrible mistake and it turns out i hadn't because the first thing that happens when you boot this game up is you start opening some randomized boxes with various oh, hot wheels in them no. and you open the very first one that the game gives you and the very first thing it does is it pops up an achievement called The First One Is Free. Wow. And I instantly was like, oh my god, is this going to be a microtransaction bullshit loot box nightmare? No. You can't spend real money on these things. You unlock them as you play. You 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 get boxes that unlock random vehicles. That's still, considering that is, like, I've, on the Jimquisition multiple times, I've brought up the whole first one's free thing. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I, I, I still feel real fucking uncomfortable about that one. That is, that is real, mm, mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
look, I'm having a good time with the game. <laughs> and it does not contain real money loot boxes. But there's something about the way that it presents how it gives you vehicles 100% exactly the way that loot boxes do. Here is a box. It opens. Here's the glow. Here's the thing. I wanted to play it. I've been interested in it. But even without the loot boxes, it is full of so much DLC from what I've seen. Like, that's what turned me off, was looking at the store and just seeing, like, all of this DLC attached. I mean, this is why I assumed there was going to be a loot box thing, is I went straight to the little store thing on the menu. There's, there's, there's like six or seven, like, hey, do you want to add some Batman cars? Do you want to add some of these? Do you want to add some of that? Um, as one-time purchase optionals. This game throws so much stuff at you that I can't imagine I, even if I loved this game, that I would ever desperately need any of that. It pretty constantly throws new stuff at you. It's a neat game. It plays way better than a licensed Hot Wheels racing game should have any right to play. But like, there's something about the, here's the box, it opens, here's the glow. Ah, the thing came out, big confetti that just is like, I stay away from loot boxes. I know you're not even, there is no way for me to pay you for loot boxes here. It still feels weird. Like there are 23, you know, 22 paid DLC add-ons for this. Oh. On Steam. Yeah, it's, what I saw was a lot. There's another one coming. You know, one of these is 30 bucks. I will say, I, I had a glimpse. Seven, I believe, is what they showed in the game, and I assumed that was everything. My apologies for being ill-informed on that game's DLC. They have some interesting DLC, too. Like, yeah. Uh, like some Street Fighter character-based vehicles, some DC Comics stuff in here, and Superman, Batman. Odd. Just an odd assortment is the way I feel about it. It has never felt like it's push like pushing me anywhere near it. I'm just aware that like, yeah, there's DLC. I'm just gonna stay over here with my unpaid loot boxes, I guess. It's weird. I'm enjoying it, but I feel like I can't recommend it and I can't put my finger on why it feels weird, but it doesn't feel safe to recommend. Like, I'm not gonna get conspiracy theorist here. I know there have been games that have added microtransaction uh, bullshit stuff after they've released. If I was going to put money on a game I've I've played this year to go, yeah, this one really feels like they're priming to add them in later. This feels like that. It feels like at any moment they could switch on the real money switch for their little random boxes. Yeah. And I don't trust it. That was my thing with it. Like, I kind of want to play it because it seems fun, but... The monetization is when I'm hit with that much up front, I just feel overwhelmed and I'm like, I don't want to get involved. I didn't know that until I picked it up and now I'm like, I'm having fun, but I feel weird about it. And very quickly, the the, the other couple of things uh, I did some playing of, um, I played some of a game that's on Game Pass called Dodgeball Academia. It's like a little sports anime, little RPG, but you're doing dodgeball. Yeah, I played that a couple months back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I can't remember. Did you in, did you enjoy this when you played some of it? I thought it was pretty neat. I didn't get too far into it, though. Yeah, I've, I've been playing a bit of it. I like the mechanics. I like that it, at its core it is such a minimal button mm-hmm. game. The, the dodgeball is like you've got your throw, you can catch the ball in midair, you can jump. And I like the difference in the, the two character approaches with the one that catches and the, the other that counters. Yeah, I, I like that too. Um... I, I feel like the timing window is tight but fair. Yep. And that, like, it's largely about 
the speed of the incoming projectile depending on when you have to hit that window as much as anything, which I, I think works really well. I haven't played a lot of it, but I'm I'm having a really good time with it, and I kind of want to play more. And last one, n- not hugely new, but I went I went back and played Enter the Gungeon for a bit this week because I've I've played that a few times and like struggled to get into it. And I think a big part of it is last time I seriously tried to get into Enter the Gungeon, I did not have a huge amount of experience with games that required like. That level of dodging in between also aiming and shooting. Like, that was just a combination of things that I hadn't had much practice with and I was really struggling with, and it kind of soured me on the game. I came back to it, a bit, a bit more experienced. I'm having a great time with it. I, I really like that. Uh, compared to something like The Binding of Isaac, I feel like your starting base weapon in this feels a lot more substantial. Like, I spend a lot more time being like, oh, I don't have an upgraded gun, it's fine, I'm making do all right with this, uh, than I do in something like Binding of Isaac. Also, the sound, the soundtrack and the boss designs are great. I need to play more of this. I've, I've gotten that roguelike itch going, and I need to play more Enter the Gungeon. Uh, so yeah, I think that's that's basically everything I played this this week. Should we, should we get on and do some newsy bits? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Where do we where do we wanna where do we wanna start? Let's start with the Ubisoft news, because there's more of it. Continues to be Ubisoft news. So Ubisoft staff are leaving in what has been described as the Great Exodus, according to a report by Axios. There have been a huge wave of resignations from the company over the past 18 months at all levels of the business. Mm-hmm. For reasons ranging from Low pay, competitive opportunities elsewhere, frustration at the company's creative direction, unease at its handling of workplace misconduct. You know, all the stuff we've been talking about this last god knows how long. Apparently, other game development studios are actively going and poaching people from Ubisoft now because they're an easy target for recruiters. (laughs) Yeah. Which, I mean, doesn't surprise me. Right now, that's a low bar. You go, hey, come work for our video game studio. We're not Ubisoft. I mean, that's practically all you'd have to say. Yeah, a third of our workers don't feel unsafe working here. What do you reckon? Yeah. Uh, It seems like there is a big, big issue with people not wanting to stay working at Ubisoft, which is unsurprising. Ubisoft has apparently recently been trying to offer pay rises to its Canadian studios to keep people from quitting. But that has just annoyed people working in the other countries. <laughs> Ubisoft Studios going, hey, wait a second, what about us? We would also like a proper wage, please. Oh. And it seems like they were offering those those uh, pay rises in Canada specifically because the Canadian studios have had the most departures uh, recently. Well, yeah, the market up there in Montreal is crazy for talent. Yeah, there are so many alternatives in the same city that people are not willing to put up with Ubisoft's bullshit. So Ubisoft tried to go, okay, we'll just give the Canadians a raise and pissed off everyone else in the process. So yeah, that's a thing. Everyone's getting off that particular sinking ship. I mean, well, that's that's one approach, I guess. We have two approaches right now happening in terms of... um, dealing with these companies on the one hand you've got ubisoft 
employees leaving in droves looking for some alternative. They've just – there's no hope at Ubisoft apparently and then you have the ABK people trying to fix Activision Blizzard desperately by coming together as a community. I still think – I think if if the, the unionization effort currently going on with, uh, with a- an ABK is successful – I think we'll see Ubisoft take following that that footsteps. I hope so. I just I don't know what hold Ubisoft has where people are so fucking averse to calling it out still. Yeah. And everyone constantly wants to move on from like talking about the abuse that still goes on at that company. But I fucking hope that we see some sort of, you know, unified action on the part of the workforce because like something needs to be done because ubisoft still has refused to address the concerns of a better ubisoft yeah they, they know they don't have to because they're not getting the kind of heat activision's gotten yeah uh other ubisoft news you know what we talked last week about how they're trying to start doing nfts oh yeah yeah see this is what annoys me about them not offering pay raises to everyone else because they've just made so much money <laughs> they've made a fortune because they've launched NFT. Oh, wait. <sighs> so, yeah, Ubisoft revealed that Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint was going to have NFTs as a... They were doing a little beta, seeing how, how people would respond, whether there was a demand for them. Uh, it wasn't going on in the UK, but it was going on in some other countries. So, Apex Legends senior character artist Liz Edwards did some digging around on third-party marketplaces because this is a uh, blockchain thing. You can look at the public ledgers of like, yeah, okay, who's what transactions have been made to who. It seems that they've only sold 15 NFTs total. <laughs> total. Total. Total sales of 15 NFTs. Um... <laughs> Uh, the, 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 the day that Liz looked, zero had been purchased in the previous 24 hours. You know, and that, that does translate to, like, they, 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 Ubisoft has made a grand total of about $1,755, a little under two grand from, from, from doing NFTs. So I'm sure it was definitely worth it. Well, Ubisoft seems to think it's worth it. They're not giving up. Look, I, I like the way that Liz described this in the thread talking about it, which was, am I right in understanding this? Ubisoft has managed to make an NFT that not even NFT fans want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm enjoying. I don't know if this will last because like they the industry seems like I mean, the thing about these NFTs is most people haven't heard of them. Most people that have don't want them, but. Because it benefits a very small amount of already wealthy people, yeah. largely, we're going to keep seeing them. They're just going to keep forcing them to be a thing. But f- right now, I'm enjoying watching the companies jumping on NFTs, like sucking up big L's while while I can enjoy that. Yeah. Because between this and the uh, Stalker 2 having to walk back the the NFTs, embarrassingly. Yeah. Like, I'm enjoying watching them humiliate themselves to force this to be a thing. I'm enjoying that too, but before this podcast episode is done today, there's at least one story of someone unfortunately making bank off them that we 
is a bit of a disappointment. That's the thing. They're going to keep forcing them because a few people are making bank off them. They think it's worth doing because what if we're the one that's going to make make bank? I I, uh, I saw, I won't name names, but someone was yeah. like, oh, if NFTs bother, you just don't buy them. But they're, first of all, you can't stop hearing about them. Yeah. Whether you want to engage in it or not, they're here, they're everywhere, and people won't shut the fuck up. As well as that, we've got the environmental impact. As well as that, we've got the vandalizing of existing art to force them in. And then we've got the theft of art that doesn't want to be involved, just getting stolen and sold as NFTs without the artist's permission. And then we have just everything around it that's sketchy as fuck, like the pyramid schemes and the Ponzi schemes that have been set up with NFTs. And then the fucking... The amount of people like like we're seeing who are having Twitter accounts hacked and YouTube channels hacked yeah. to turn them into shills for NFTs, like advertising platforms. Like they can't not be shady about NFTs. Everything about NFTs from top to bottom is sketchy as fuck. It's because they're pyramid schemes. Anyone who gets involved in them is openly admitting that they care more about the potential for money than they do about the decency of what they're supposed to be selling and who they're selling things to. Anyone who gets involved in NFTs at this point is scum as far as I'm concerned. Are NFTs the mark of the beast? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look, N- NFTs are just a pyramid scheme that kept a diary. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. So yeah, following that news, Ubisoft's uh, blockchain technical director, Didier Genvois, said that the company is... They're not giving up, they're going to keep doing it. We got a lot of feedback since the announcement and we hear the encouragement and the concerns. We understand the sentiment towards the technology, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they're not giving up on it even though no one's fucking buying them. Because of course they're not, because they're going to stick with it until... They stumble on a thing that makes them a billion dollars. Ugh. Let's talk about the other NFT story while we're here. We talked last week about Peter Molyneux having a game called Legacy. That was an NFT game. Mm-hmm. Legacy has already raked in around $50 million. Mm. I mean, it's amazing. Peter Molyneux is a scammer. Like, he's a con merchant. He is a scam artist. He is a liar and a thief, as far as I'm concerned. How is Molyneux, of all people, the person in games who's worked out how to make bank out of this? Because he is an exceptional con merchant. He is a con merchant so good that he has been caught in a lie every single time he's lied, and yet trades off of his decades-old reputation of having been good once to keep lying and keep scamming and keep succeeding in doing it. He is the definition of falling upwards. He's doing it. And to a point, the things that Molyneux produced were still interesting and or good in some way, even if they never met the ridiculous promise that he offered. This is true, but that's not been true in over a decade. No. Oh, go. Not since Milo. Which never even shipped. Never even showed up. Yeah. And see, here's the thing I'll say about this game, Legacy. I can't tell you what the gameplay is. I've not seen anyone talk about what would make this game interesting to play or why I should care about it from a gameplay perspective. Literally all I know about it is that you can buy imaginary plots of land 
someone bought London for nine hundred thousand dollars. Apparently, definitely not fucking money laundering going on there. I mean, all NFT games and comics and cartoons and all—it's it's the most artless shit imaginable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and part of the reason for that are limitations on how the technology can be implemented. Limitations on how the tech can be implemented, plus limitations on how much the people indulging in all of this actually care about the artistic side of it. Well, sure. I mean, the way these NFT bros are talking, like, I've seen so many, like, the PR machine for nfts is in full force these past couple weeks as more and more people have heard about them and they're like wow that sounds shit so nft bros are falling over themselves right now to try and explain why it's good and not one of them have been able to make it sound anything other than worse yeah and so many of it comes like so many of them when they describe what makes nft so good it's actually predicated on the idea that they think art is garbage on its own. So much of it is like someone was like, oh, look, here's why NFT games are better than regular games. In a regular game, you drop 60 bucks on it and get nothing. That was the argument. You don't get anything if you buy a game. What about the game? Don't you get the game? Well, that's it. They don't believe exchanging <laughs> money for entertainment is... Is a transaction. Is an exchange. Yeah. Because to them, unless it's an investment, it's not real to them. And then they go on to say things like, yeah, but if you, if you buy a $200 NFT game, you will get an NFT that you could then maybe sell if enough people also buy the NFT game. That's their argument. That's why it's better than regular games. And then you get the ones who straight up admit. They're like, it's better than regular art because it's an investment. That's all they care about. There was one that's going around that's like, well, it's, it's like buying a Lamborghini. It's a status symbol. Before NF This was the quote, before NFTs, there was no way to show your status online. <laughs> Nothing. Jesus Christ. Nothing. You couldn't prove your worth online before NFTs. These people are out of their minds. You know what, though? They're right. I have never seen... Anywhere on the internet before, a metric that one could use to evaluate their own self-worth. You're right. They, they, <laughs> they've, they've nailed it. Jesus Christ. It can't even do that better. I mean, that's the thing. Like, like it's the same with, um, well, just the description of why NFT gaming is so good. Because, oh, you could get an item that you could sell for real money. It's like, yeah, but Team Fortress... Too, already did that games already do that everything nfts are being used for and everything i've been told can't couldn't be done before nfts came along was being done before nfts came along we have all of this shit we have ways to show status we have ways to make money from video games play to earn has always been a thing before it got the really skin crawling disgusting term that it's got to describe it now before we move on from this story, I just want to leave this story on the note of this game doesn't exist yet. It's not going to exist for at least a year. Probably longer than that because Molyneux games never come out on time. Seriously, who out there in the world put 900,000 fucking dollars on a Peter Molyneux game a year before it's out? It's Peter Molyneux, don't. Don't trust him to complete a project. The God of Gods was a thing. Milo was a thing. He doesn't fucking do shit. Uh, um. So, 
just missed it last week. Bungie's CEO has had to apologise after a damning report exposes a culture of overt sexism at the studio. Let's add another fucking company on the pile. IGN published a report last week into alleged issues with Bungie's narrative team uh, that detailed overt sexism, a boys club culture, crunch, and HR protection of abusers, as well as more complex stories of microaggressions, systemic inequalities, and difficulties in being heard. I mean, this is, it's an expansive story on IGN. Like... Yeah. It is a hell of a story. Go read IGN's original report. It is a hell of a thing. Without digging into the the details, because god, we've done enough of that this, this fucking year... A lot of it is the same fucking song and dance we've heard the studios we've previously talked about. It's the game industry. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. It, this is the game industry top to bottom. It's what I've said for the past couple of years. At every level of the game industry, this is what it is. This is the culture. It's, it's just shitty dudes being shitty with no consequences. It's yeah. the same story. Yeah. And, like, if nothing else, you know what I think one of the biggest things that's come out of all of these, like, repeated issues is... Every time we get a story like this, be it Ubisoft or ABK or Bungie here, HR protecting abusers and failing to support workers, which we all know. That's why HR exists to protect other management. They don't exist to protect the workers. But, like, if you didn't believe that before, look at these stories, everyone. The human resources industry is broken and needs, like, considerable overhaul. Yeah. Because... This happens time and time again. Abusive people at abusive companies get protected by HR departments. You know, there's an entire fucking, like, sub-industry here for a third-party HR department for game companies yeah. at this point. Or indeed, most companies. Well, yeah. I mean, there's still there's still the problem of, you know, who's paying the HR department. Yeah. So you're still going to run... There are third-party... HR companies that manage those things for corporations and others. I I don't know of one that specifically handles the games industry, and and that might have its own peculiar special challenges as as we see. Yeah. Well, I mean, the most obvious answer, though, of course, is is the one that's been obvious for years, and that is unionize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's not going to fix everything, but it's it's the right direction. It's the, it's an important first step. Because we will hear more stories. Yep. There'll be more. Bungie won't be the last, and it will be the same thing. It will be the same thing because this is the game industry. It's a fucked up game industry. As I've said for years, investigate every game company. Every single one. Investigate every single one. I'm not saying every single one will be like this, but there'll be more. There are more. Yeah. Yeah. Go read the full report on IGN, uh, written by Rebecca Valentine. It is a hell of a read, and it's well worth reading, and it's yet another fucking company being bullshit and terrible. One thing that's come out of this, uh, Bungie's head of HR, Gail DeHont, has stepped down from the company following the report. Good. What are you doing to guarantee that the next person in that position won't do the same? Like, that's the, the thing that needs to come after that and one step that is mentioned in their emails that they're gonna they're overhauling the hr uh team broadly um with people that are new to bungie that i mean that's not necessarily going to solve the problem but it may help 
it does seem like their plan, at least on surface level, is let's bring a bunch of new people into the HRM people team so that at the very least there's not existing bro-culture relationships that would encourage them to protect upper management. That's one fewer thing that team is going to have encouraging them to, to do that. Not to say it's fixed all the problems, but it sure doesn't hurt. Really feels like a department that should be entirely separated from all other workers and should really not have any interactions or relationships with other workers where possible. A little bit. Or at the very least with upper management, it feels like it should not have... Feels like there should be a separation there. So yeah. Dahon, when talking upon leaving the company, basically tried to do a bunch of justifying why she'd been the way she had. Uh, talked about deeply challenging interpersonal conflicts, including firing employees for performance, bad behavior, and... You're the head of HR, that's the job. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I don't mean to be unsympathetic. Yeah, and, like, I am sympathetic for some of the stuff going on here. She she talks about, like, while she was at the company, she had to report her own abuser, uh, an executive and someone that she thought was a friend, which he got fired for. Great. Would have been really good if you'd have had that same level of reporting up the chain and doing stuff when it wasn't your own abuser. Because it sure sounds like you didn't when it was people lower down the chain. And that that's kind of shitty. But she's not working in HR. They haven't made it clear if she's leaving the company entirely. That's a question mark as well that hasn't been made clear. It's a whole thing. Have we got anything that isn't all this bullshit that we can... We can end on, I can't remember. Oh, there's a thing that's just, like, kind of funny. A little bit. Just because, you know. We'll start with a regular story. You know how there's not enough semiconductors to make chips for anything and everything's getting delayed because they can't make devices? Heard that, yeah. 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 So, Intel's chief, Pat Gelsinger, has uh, says that we should expect that until 2023. Ending anytime soon. That's not great news. But... Examples of that having, like, a real-world impact? Microsoft couldn't get a, a hold of retail Xbox Series X consoles for a Halo tournament that happened this past weekend. Because there wasn't enough stock of them, they, could they couldn't get their hands on enough, they had to, they had to fly dev kits out because Microsoft can't get their hands on these things at the moment. Which is... Yeah, for the people who've been saying, oh, it's artificial scarcity once again, it's artificial... No, I don't... I think this time it might be genuine scarcity. Oh, yeah. We're dealing with the boy who cried scarcity. <laughs> yeah. Uh. It's, it's, it's a weird feeling to have console scarcity actually be a thing I believe is real scarcity for once. It's been many years since I've believed scarcity. We can't have anything anymore. Uh. Capitalism has made life shit. And now can't even provide the stuff that distracts us from life being shit. Yeah, it has failed to do the thing that it's meant to do. It's it's failing to even cover for its failures now. Yeah. While promising that there is new technology on the horizon that will be even more dependent on the shit we can't get, that's going to allow yeah. us to ignore <laughs> what we have. <laughs> it feels like yeah. we're in some sort of crisis. <laughs> I did have a thought about this semiconductor crisis and what it's doing to, like, console manufacturing and things, because I did have a thought. I do wonder whether we might end up with a slightly longer console generation this time around. We're gonna have to, because we're, like, well over a year in, and 
It hasn't started. Yeah. And, you know, I don't hate... if Look, there's a terrible situation, but if that one consequence does come out of this, I'm really up for that, because I, I want a console to stick around for a while before it gets ditched, and it it's always like, you know, right toward the end of a console's life cycle, they work out how to make all the good games for it. Cool. Let's just sit around in that for a bit. Because it took a couple of years for you to get anyone the consoles. Like, if this pushes their, like, whatever comes next plans a few years down the road, I'm going to be more than happy with that. As someone that has the thing, obviously. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I bought a, I, I bought a PS4. Yeah. Right? And that's the last console investment I made. Yeah. And I have not seen anything in the console market to compel me to invest in future hardware. So I'm fine. Take take all the time you need. Yeah. Never make another console again for all I give a shit at this rate. Indeed. The sooner we get away from the a new bit of hardware every five years cycle, the more that video games will actually fucking stabilize as a medium. Ah. Uh. So there we go. I think I think that's it. I think we did it. All right. Yeah. Well, there are other things that have been done, Laura. Yeah. By you at times. This isn't an allegation. This isn't me having a. This isn't me. This isn't the revelations. You you you're dropping the news. Right. This is well documented that you. And how do you answer these charges? Right. You have written books. Oh, I have done. I plead guilty to the charges. Lock me up. I've written books. The main one right now to go check out is Who Hunts the Whale? It's a book about the video game industry. Uh, It is a a comedic book, but also maybe it thinks that capitalism is bad. If you enjoy our capitalism is bad sentiments, go check out the book. Uh, If you go to unbound.com forward slash books forward slash whale, you'll find it. Go check it out. Go, Go order a copy. That would be a great thing. Uh, other than that, Laura K. Buzz on all the stuff, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Just search Laura K. Buzz, you'll find all the things. Uh, I got I got cool stuff to announce like early next year, but for now, that's the stuff. What about you, Conrad? Oh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. I stream... Like three, four days a week at a variety of times. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com. And everything that I do online gets supported through Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? <gasps> James Stephanie Sterling. That's me. Oh, that was, that was going to be my first guess. Oh, you'd have guessed correct, Laura. Yeah. Because I do. I could even prove it if you go to patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Oh, I went there. It's it's there. Is it that one? It's real. Good. Yeah. Good. I I prove things if I get them right. You can go there. That's good. And I stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Jim Sterling. I will also... I, I may have been fired from Rise, unfairly, in my opinion. But I still have wrestling bookings. I have um, Chemical MV Wrestlers Lab's uh, next show in New Jersey on January 15th. Then at Mr. Small's Theatre in Pittsburgh, it's the next um, 
installment of Enjoy Wrestling. That's January 22nd. And then um, I will have some news on some UK stuff. I've, I've got a, some, yeah, some UK wrestling work lined up. You'll be able to come see me live there. So that's all very exciting. 2022 is going to be a cool little year. It's going to be a, it's a promising yeah. looking year. Uh, and will we have another one of these before 2022? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have one more. There should be one more. One yeah, more. There, there'll be one more. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, have a good Christmas, everyone, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, Laura, I hope you have a lo- very lovely Christmas. Oh, yeah. Conrad, I hope you have oh, a very lovely um, Christmas. I hope you both have a very lovely Christmas. I mean, I'm just going to sit in my pants and wank. I mean, that's the best best way to celebrate the holidays. It'll be something something to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do that, and all when I do it. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas! (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye.